0: Hello, and welcome to Wooden Teeth, a podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today's truth. Politics and policy needs more public health influence. My guest today, Abdul El-Sayed, is making that happen. He's a former executive director of the Detroit Health Department who, inspired in part by the Flint water crisis, ran for governor of Michigan. Today, you can find him on CNN, where he's a political contributor, or find him where you listen to podcasts, where you can check out his pod, America Dissected. And in case that wasn't enough for you, you can read his book, Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic. In the meantime, you can check him out right here because I'm gonna have a conversation with him in mere seconds. Okay, welcome. It's good to see you. I just got to start off by saying that to prepare for this interview, I checked you out on Wikipedia. Just, I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. And I noticed that the first descriptor of you is as a politician, which I get because you ran for office before, but you do a lot of different stuff and we'll get to all that different stuff. But if you were to summarize what it is you do, what would you say that is?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. I, um, my, my goal and my work is about advocating for a more just, equitable, and sustainable country and world uh, with a focus on the way that that world um, both shapes our health and is shaped by our health. And you know, it takes a form of uh, a podcast, which I host called America Dissected, uh, the work I do um, uh, in my writing, uh, both in a book called Healing Politics, which came out in March, and then another one. Uh, focused on Medicare for All called Medicare for All Citizens Guide coming out in February, um, and then in uh, my advocacy and um, and my teaching. So uh, all of that is sort of centered around the fact that some folks don't get access to a long, healthy life. And that's in part, in, in Maine, a function of the decisions we make in our society. Um, and uh, And I want to address that.
0: And so when you're filling out your immigration card, when you're landing in a foreign country, you write,
1: <laughs> you know, that's actually a really
0: confusing thing. So
1: folks are like, so what do you do um, like? Well, I uh, I'm an author. I host a podcast. I do some teaching. Uh, and so, uh, yeah.
0: Um, so you have a unique background in that you were trained in, in public health. You've been active in politics and that's a rare combination. And so I'm wondering, how is your public health training informed your political instincts?
1: Yeah, well, you know, public health training um, is powerful because it forces you to think structurally about uh, the, 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 the things that manifest in people's day-to-day life. And, um, you know, if you want to understand why people get sick, it's not enough just to look at what they do every day. You've got to look at the environment in which they live, learn, work, and, and play. Um, and that has really informed a lot of my political critiques because uh, it shapes the way I think about the system of public policy. Uh, and the ways that that system manifests in people's lives. Um, And I I learned that in my training as an epidemiologist and my work in public health. Uh, And at the same time, um, I actually think, you know, being uh, involved in politics has really uh, honed my advocacy in public health, because sometimes in public health, we assume that people see the world and understand the world structurally and systemically the way that we do. And we communicate that way. And that's not all that helpful, because most folks don't uh, interpret the world in a series of empirical studies. most folks uh, think about stories and I think in in politics um, you've got to really be able to tell the stories that uh, illustrate the phenomena that you want people to understand and and what can be done about it. and so I think you know both have really informed each other and I think um, have made the other side of my uh, of my work stronger and I'm really grateful for that.
0: So you've run a public health department um, in Detroit and right now public health workers, are front and center dealing with this crisis in the form of the COVID 19 pandemic. When the dust settles, do you think that the morale of public health workers across the country is going to be higher or, or lower?
1: No, um, unfortunately, I mean, we're already seeing the, the answer to that question, and it's, it's profoundly lower. I think people are really frustrated because public health at its best operates in the background and then operates ahead of time. Uh, we prepare in public health that's what we do and this pandemic found us wholly unprepared and not because public health workers themselves were ill-prepared because our institutions were uh, choked off of the researchers that of the resources that they've needed really for the past several decades and for that reason um, public health was not able to do what it needed to do uh, in the midst of the pandemic and and we're seeing the consequences now and i think people are really frustrated. Uh, by being held accountable for a circumstance that they've been advocating for well before it ever happened uh, without much ear and then being blamed um, in, in, the, in the aftermath uh, of the occurrence of the worst pandemic in over 100 years. And so I think people are really frustrated. At the same time, I do think and I do hope uh, that this pandemic will have changed the way people think about what we do and why we do it uh, and have reoriented um, our Uh, our our culture, uh, our our society, our politics around the critical importance of funding and investing in public health so that we never get to this place again. Um, And so as as frustrating as I think it is for a lot of folks in public health, I do hope that folks hold on uh, and they recognize that this is the time that we need to both uh, bring an end to this pandemic, but also uh, build out the kind of America uh, where nothing like this ever happens again.
0: Why do you think there aren't more people who make this segue from public health to politics? I mean, we've seen during the pandemic um, how popular, if you will, uh, public health figures can be. I guess Dr. Fauci would be uh, at the top of that list. And you stated earlier uh, about these strong connections between what public health workers do and you know, what affects everybody's daily lives. Um, and what could be further influenced uh, if if uh, they held office? Why don't we see more of public health workers running for office like you have?
1: So I'll answer the question and then I'll uh, I'll finish out with a prediction. I think public health, at its core, there is a level of um, humility to the work and a willingness to work in the background. I think a lot of folks are allergic to uh, the limelight that comes with 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 engaging directly in politics. And at the same time, I think public health has been so failed by this political moment. My prediction is that we're going to be seeing a lot more public health professionals running for office in the near future, recognizing that if we don't step up and advocate for our own needs, advocate for uh, evidence-based decision-making, advocate for funding institutions that are critical to the well-being of the public, uh, that we may, in fact, get to a point where something like this happens again. uh, And folks are taking it into their own hands and saying, you know, not on my watch, and Um, It is an extension of my public health work that I have to be involved uh, in politics. And I also think that this moment has also led to, even if folks don't uh, decide to run for office, a new, um, uh, 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 I think, political consciousness among public health workers. The recognition that uh, we need to be talking about public health, even outside of moments of public health catastrophe uh, and advocating for what we do, uh, because what we do really matters.
0: In the work we do here in Colorado, um, we do a lot of public opinion research and a challenge that we continue to come up against is that we find that people overemphasize the role that personal decisions play in one's quality of life and and health outcomes versus uh, a myriad of other circumstances, from race to class to hell, luck. plays in uh, how uh, they end up living their lives. How do we make this breakthrough, um, this science-informed breakthrough, that appropriately weights uh, individual influences versus systemic influences in order to build a better country? This is a small question for you. Yeah.
1: Um, look, I'll say a couple of things. You know for me, I was really privileged both in the way and the space that I grew up. My parents were both uh, academics and I grew up in um, you know a, a town where I had excellent public schools. But many summers, I would travel back to Egypt, where my family, uh, living in a really working class part of Alexandria, didn't have nearly the, the kinds of privileges that I had. And I could see my cousins just as smart, just as capable as I, um, but without the opportunities that I had and that opportunity to understand what opportunity looks like, I think disabused me of any notion that there was something special about me. My grandmother, uh, who is the wisest, smartest person I've ever met, who never got to go to school used to, you know, put an exclamation point on that, on that note. Um, and you know, she'd point to one cousin and say, I was smarter than you point to another one. Say I was taller and better looking point to a third and say I was more athletic point to a fourth and say I one's nicer, Um, And her point was that you have something going for you that they don't, which is that you have a set of opportunities. And those opportunities really are what frame the kinds of life trajectories that so many of us have. And the problem is that we assume that this is all about choice, but we don't appreciate that the circumstances in which people are living often constrain their choice set in ways that we would never know simply because so much of our ultimate trajectory is decided the day we were born. And so the point that you made about luck, I think is a really important one. Um, that many of us, you know, we work hard, don't get me wrong, but the return on the investment of that work is fundamentally a function of the circumstances into which we were born and the opportunity set in that, that we have. And yes, there are folks who cross the social mobility chasm, but they're few and far between and we shouldn't be making norms in public policy. Uh, around the outliers. We should be making it around uh, circumstance. And so um, I I think being able to tell those stories and to show people um, that many of the circumstances, the choices that people make uh, are not choices between wants, but choices between needs uh, in communities that deeply constrain their access to quote unquote, a healthy lifestyle. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, for me, the point that I've always made to folks when we're talking about Detroit is that, look, city of Detroit is 138 square miles. There are as many McDonald's in Detroit as there are grocery stores. And if you want folks to make a healthy choice, I want you to think about the value in a Big Mac meal, right? That Big Mac meal is probably 1,500 calories. It's about five bucks. You can get two bags of spinach for five bucks. And that's not an entire meal. And that's about 200 calories. And so, you know, you think about the choices that people are making in the circumstances that they are in. uh, And you recognize that a lot more of it has to do with the patterning of the choice set itself, rather than the patterning of a set of behaviors around that choice set, uh, and I think we have to have a, a far more coherent conversation—not just out into the world, but also amongst ourselves. Right? There still is a culture of "quote unquote" health behaviors that um, that, that folks want to bring up about. You know, we have to educate people into better decisions, and uh, it is so ignorant to the fact that oftentimes uh, those decisions are not the same decisions that those of us with uh, with privilege and means might be making, right? If I don't eat healthy, it's not because I can't get to a grocery store because I can't afford healthy food, it's because I made a choice, right? Uh, but that's not the same situation as as somebody who is uh, potentially living on uh, on uh, the equivalent of, of food stamps and, uh, and in making decisions about how they can even get to a grocery store to get the healthy food uh, in the first place. And we should not be equating those two and pretending like they're the same thing.
0: You've talked about how uh, hopefully, the COVID-19 pandemic will change the way that voters think about uh, public health. Do you think the pandemic will lead to a larger shift in thinking uh, uh, among voters, maybe even about the role of government itself, you know, either positive or negative?
1: I certainly hope so. And I'm going to spend um, all of my waking time trying to make sure it does, because, you know, th- there is a, already a strain in thinking that says that this was beyond anyone's control. That you know, the, the coronavirus was going to emerge and it was going to wreak havoc, and that's just the way it was. First, any curious look at the way that our country failed fared and failed uh, versus other countries suggest to us that actually there was something unique about the way that we organized our society that made it so much worse here. And then second is that we knew that a virus was going to emerge, and yet we had under underinvested and underfunded basic government infrastructure and created the circumstances where deep poverty, inequity, uh, and in and, and, and government non-intervention against these things were norms that allowed a lot of people to suffer and forced a ton of people to decide uh, between their lives and their livelihoods. And so I think that there is the potential to change a lot of people's minds about the role of government. Um, but that is not a foregone conclusion because uh, there is already a fight over the narrative about what happened here. And we need to push back hard on people who think that somehow we weren't able to do anything about it, that it was just gonna come and, and hit us hard because that's the way it is. The last point I'll make is that any epidemiologist worth, worth their salt will tell you that the emergence of an epidemic isn't simply about a pathogen, it's about the way the pathogen hits a particular host in a particular environment. And right now, we live in a country where our hosts, people, have been uh, battered by their environment for decades. Um, Going without the basic means uh, of a dignified life, whether you're talking about uh, a good education, uh, a stable home uh, and house, um, uh, access to healthy foods, clean air, clean drinkable water, uh, a job that pays a living wage. There are a lot of folks who just do not have these things because of the choices that we have made as a society to benefit the rich uh, and powerful over uh, everyone else. And so most folks in our society are either being extracted from or fully excluded from these basic uh, 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 things that people need to live live their lives. And so um, if we are serious about addressing uh, what happened here, we've gotta be thinking about those circumstances that created the situation into which this coronavirus emerged that killed um, 300,000 people and counting uh, and, and, and brought our society to its knees.
0: You are from Michigan, I'm from Michigan. Uh, Michigan was the center of the political universe Uh, In this election, uh, Trump, of course, uh, won it along with Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in 2016, and then in 2020, um, he, even though he may disagree with the statement, he lost it. Um, Why did he lose Michigan in 2020?
1: I think a couple of reasons. Um, You know, first, I I want to talk about why he won in 2016. I think he won in 2016 because uh, there were a lot of folks who were frustrated by. A normal um, that everyone was told uh, was working for everybody. And they looked at their circumstances and said, you know, uh, my access to a job, the, the job I work doesn't pay the same wage as it did uh 30 years ago. The my house is becoming more and more expensive for me to maintain. I'm worried about what's happening uh if I get sick and, and I might have to go bankrupt to pay for my health care. Um and they looked and said, well, here's an alternative that doesn't look like uh normal. And they uh, pick that alternative. Now, here's the thing. They ended up voting for someone who uh, who exploited demagoguery to exploit our fundamental insecurity as a society, who could care less about the well-being of everyday people and cares only about uh, nurturing his own ego. And he found that politics was a, um, a, a, a pretty effective playing field to nurture an ego. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. And I think Americans saw the folly of electing a carnival barker um, with uh, no interest or care or effective experience at providing uh, basic resources for folks in their lives um, and watch the consequences of that in terms of a piling death count uh, to a pandemic that spiraled out of control because of his uh, disinvestment. And all of that, I think, is what uh, led to uh his ultimate demise. The other part of it is just a simple thing, right? It's it's you just think about um this is the first time I think Americans have had to think about how they were going to explain the behavior of the president to their kids. I mean there's just there is a there is a litmus test of just basic decency that he failed. Um, and I, I think voters were 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 pretty quick to um to 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 recognize that and to vote him out. At the same time, he earned 74 million votes and all of us need to be thinking a little bit about why? Right? Because there, he earned more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. There were people who did not vote in 2016 who looked at the four-year body of failure and said, "You know what? I'm going to come out and vote for that in 2020." And so, what my 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 point on this is is that you know elections are a small, uh, momentary, very very complex data point. The bigger picture here, though, is that there are a lot of people in our society who are suffering. And we need to deliver for them. They are asking what the situation might be if their uh, factory or their workplace decides to offload uh, a whole other set of jobs or continue to automate out their jobs. These are questions that Americans all over this country are asking. And so long as we are not solving them, uh, it leaves our country um, open to exploitation from demagogues who tell us that the reason we don't have is because those other people are Getting, taking our jobs or, or taking handouts, right Th- That exploitation um, is is still there right for the taking. And so what we need to do yes, is heal from the demagoguery of Donald Trump but healing doesn't just mean rhetoric rhetoric. it means uh, deciding that we are going to um, actually solve fundamentally the challenges that people in this country are facing um, so that when they look up and they think about their lives, Uh, They recognize that the system uh, can and and, and should work for them, uh, even if it hasn't.
0: All right, so Donald Trump lost the election. He lost Michigan. And you know, when you talk about those seventy four million who came out to vote for him, um, people who, at least some of whom are vulnerable to that you know xen- xenophobic point of view or racial resentment, I think you think about white people, obviously. but at the same time, a, a real head scratcher for me at least is how Trump actually did better with non-white people, with African Americans, uh, with Latinos, and he's Than he did before and better than um republican nominees of the past do you have a theory as to why he did even better with non-white people this time around
1: yeah i think there are two things number one um i don't want to blow that out of proportion because he still did extremely poorly poorly with uh with people of color and at the same time right these structural failures in our system they affect people of color worst of all. And so to think that they're going to be inured to the same kind of demagoguery, uh, the same kind of us versus them uh approach to, to to shaming and blaming, um, you know, is not in keeping with the reality of the circumstances in which a lot of people live. And so, you know, I, I I'm not surprised that he uh increases vote share given that he was the incumbent sitting president, um, and that he was uh speaking so much to a brokenness in the system, but he was speaking to the wrong brokenness, right? Uh Donald Trump, let's let's be clear, uh, he values and has rewarded the way that corporations dominate uh our politics. But uh he has sought to blame uh people of color and uh working people generally uh and to divide us but by speaking to the fact that the the, the system is not working, uh he has a uh, claim to make. Um, that uh, that is out there now. The 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 frustration, right, is that the way we are going to be able to take on this brokenness, this insecurity in uh, our society, has to be through people of all walks coming together and recognizing that only when we hold large corporations accountable, only when we take back our government uh, from their impact and their influence. Will we be able to build the kind of society that truly does deliver for everybody? And you know that has to do with just the, the basic reality that you're seeing uh, deep concentration in corporate power, uh, a further and further erosion of the firewall between our um, our, our economy and our politics, um, and uh, the continued ability for larger and larger corporations to offshore and automate jobs uh, and to ring out labor for uh, less and less a return. Uh, of 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 the goods on their work, and so we've got to be able to come together. Uh, but let's not, you know, delude ourselves in thinking that a sitting president who is indicting the system uh, to the benefit of the system's power uh, isn't going to uh, to win some votes from people uh, who feel like they're on the wrong end of that system.
0: Okay, we're going to end here with a lightning round. Let's do it. Okay. Only brief answers to these questions, right? No hemming and hawing. You just need to have a direct answer. Ready? Got it. Got it. Got All it. Right. I'm ready. Will you run for office again? <laughs> uh, maybe someday. Uh, what's more likely in the 2021 football season? Jim Harbaugh will be the coach of the Michigan Wolverines or Jim Harbaugh will be the coach of the Detroit Lions?
1: Uh, Jim Harbaugh being the coach of the Detroit Lions, although I think either of are, are quite likely.
0: Better actor... No, I'm going to say better looking actor of Egyptian heritage, Rami Malek or Omar Sharif. I mean, you got to go classic
1: Omar Sharif here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, in his prime, he was a stunner. Um, And then uh, finally, I convinced my mom to vote for you and she was bummed when you lost. Her name is Jojo. Are you willing to give her a shout out?
1: Jojo. Hey, I deeply appreciate your support. I really, really do. I hope that if uh, I run again, that I'll be able to earn your support again. And uh, and great job with this one; he's a good one.
0: Yeah, this will be a test to see if she says she listens to the podcast, and we'll see if she listens to the end. And this will be this will be the test to see if she actually does what she says she does. <laughs> uh, Abdul, this has been great. I appreciate the time. Keep up the fight, um, and tell us again about your podcast. Yep, the
1: podcast is called America Dissected, and. Um, we're focused on that space where Health Meets Society. You can check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so after you uh, listen to this one, um, I hope that you'll, uh, you'll you'll listen to us uh, weekly. But um, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. It was uh, a real privilege. And um, and thank you for your work and your fight. And I uh, hope that we get to stay connected, okay? And when you come back to Michigan and it's not a pandemic, look me up.
0: I will. I will. Uh, a quick aside. I actually, uh, I, we, we took the whole staff out to Zingerman's a few years back because they have a so, so the, for those of you still listening <laughs> Zingerman's is a famous deli you should check it out or even do their mail order food but like I do every holiday um, but they also have a business training um, business oh, awesome. and so we went out there and you know they thought I, I, I said good, good news everybody we're going to uh, travel this time for our, our staff retreat and they're like where? like Miami? Uh, and they're like no Ann Arbor and uh, I, had to, <laughs> I look, hope you came look, in the remember. summer <laughs> yeah there you have it. And I even managed to sneak in sports and Michigan stuff into this one. If you like this podcast, perhaps despite those references, subscribe to it, rate it, or heck, you can even share it with your political or public health nerd friends. It's true. It's true. If you listen to this podcast, you're uh, probably a political or public health nerd, but embrace it. Dig it. I do. All right. I'll see you.